Mutants. Since the discovery of their existence, they have been regarded with fear, suspicion, often hatred. Across the planet, debate rages. Are mutants the next link in the evolutionary chain? Or simply a new species of humanity fighting for their share of the world? Either way, it is an historical fact. Sharing the world has never been humanity's defining attribute. Preach. Hurrah. Preach. Preach, preach, preach. Oh. If only he was my professor. Cinema Psych Podcast, the podcast where psychology meets film. I am your host, Dr. Alex Swan, and uh, it's going to be a little bit of a, uh, I feel like I'm a uh, broken record sometimes, this is going to be a little bit of a uh, uh, different episode, and it kind of is. I like um, I like the fact that uh, I'm doing different things uh, a lot in, in a lot of different episodes here, so um in this one, not only is the guest going to be somebody a little bit different from previous episodes, but we're actually going to be talking about more than one film today in this in this episode. So we are actually going to be talking about films, plural. And we have talked about films, plural, uh, before. Uh, in previous episodes, uh, when we talked about Rashomon and Knives Out with Celeste Pilligard. Um, in this one, we're going to be talking about a film franchise. Okay, We're going to be just trying to discuss, as best we can, the psychological themes of the X-Men film franchise, which at this point is 13 films okay it's not the mcu and there's been there were a lot of gaps in between these movies but the 13 films including the recent new mutants film over the last 20 year period 2000 when the first x-men film came out and 2020 when the last x-men well fox x-men film came out which was the new mutants right so the original trilogy uh, is um, X-Men, X2, X-Men United, and X, X-Men 3, The Last Stand, or X3, The Last Stand, I can't remember. The first two were directed by uh, Brian Singer, and um, The Last Stand was um, directed by Brett Ratner, and it is far, uh, far inferior to the first two Brian Singer films. Um, and it, you, you know the folks that are in there. Hugh Jackman plays Wolverine in pretty much the entire series. Um, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen play Professor X and Magneto, respectively, in that first one. Uh, and then, you know, bunch of notable others, of course, right? And then there are what are considered the four first-class 
younger versions in the same universe, but younger versions. Um, one of them was directed by Brian Singer. And then the, I believe um, one of them was directed by Va- Matthew Vaughn, who is the first class director. He did the Kingsman series, that sort of thing. Um, and then um, Simon Kimberg did the last two. He was a screenwriter. And I got to say, the ones that he directed are not so great. They are not so great. And in these films, the counterparts are James McAvoy as Professor X, Michael Fassbender, who is my preferred Magneto, uh, and Jennifer Lawrence as Mystique. Uh, and they're supposed to be, you know, younger versions, but that, that sort of breaks down in the uh, in X-Men Apocalypse when you're like, wait, Michael Fassbender turns into Ian McKellen in just 20 years time. Hmm. And then when you get to Dark Phoenix, uh, which came out, uh, what, two years ago or last year? I can't remember exactly. Um, <laughs> he. He then ages into Ian McKellen only 10 years later. So it's like, what? I mean, the the McAvoy, uh, Patrick Stewart uh, connection is one of the greatest. And uh, they have a really great scene in Days of Future Past, which is a blending of the two. And um, and then the final piece to the X-Men film franchise. And we'll touch on these films a little bit, I think, in this episode, but um, touching on this is um, going to be uh, the three Wolverine films. So we've got um, Wolverine uh, or X-Men Origins Wolverine, which came out in 2009, which is terrible. It's a terrible movie, and I'm sure everyone can agree, except for maybe the first uh, pre-credits roll sequence talking about the history of him and and um uh Liev Schreiber's uh Sabretooth. Then there was the Wolverine and then of course Logan who were both uh Wolverine and Logan um or the Wolverine and Logan were uh written and directed by James Mangold uh, of course starring Hugh Jackman in and and Logan I got to be is his tour de force I got to say. And then um we are going to uh, have to, unfortunately, ignore the New Mutants. And I say ignore un- and unfortunately uh, as tongue-in-cheek as possible. Uh, and but, but, but unfortunately and very uh, sincerely, we do have to ignore um, Ryan Reynolds and uh, Deadpool. Uh, because... Technically, Deadpool and Deadpool 2 are not a part of this film franchise. They're they're sort of set in the same universe. And um, now that Disney has all Fox properties and do plan to make another Deadpool movie, maybe more, um, they will be definitely set within the MCU. And so we'll see what happens there. But we will definitely not be, be talking about the New Mutants. Absolutely not. Uh, it's con- There are tiny little bits of connection between New Mutants and um, the, the previous films in the franchise. And even though they're set in the same universe, they're essentially it is essentially disconnected. And the fact that it, you know, went through two years of of just 
limbo and and uh, movie producing hell uh, that that uh, it's 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 not. I mean, the themes are going to be there. The themes are in the movie, but it's not a very good movie. And I like to treat you all with good films on this show. So without further ado, that was a long intro because I had to talk about a lot of people. Without further ado, let's get right to it. My guest host today is Michael Alexander. Now, unlike most of our guests, Michael is not a trained or professional psychologist. He works in nonprofit marketing and operations, but is a lifelong movie fan and geek and is a lay student of psychology, taking some, you know, in in college there for dual reasons of having lived for years with a clinical psych PhD candidate with whom he helped study and because he seeks to understand people through a data centric approach to best affect social change, which I think is a is a noble effort. But I think what is most important to say about Michael is that um, he is one, uh, he's probably, if not the oldest friend that I have. We met when we were in kindergarten, everyone, kindergarten. We were five years old. So that was like 30 years ago. And even though we haven't seen each other in a good amount of those years, we went to different high schools and all of that. Uh, we follow each other's lives pretty darn closely, I would say. At least on Facebook, I, I spend hours reading what Michael's talking about. And this X-Men franchise we're talking about today is something that, that made our friendship so damn good. Especially, obviously, when we were kids and we were actually like playing with the things. Michael, welcome to the show. Hey man, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I really. Yeah, I'm glad I, you're uh, here. What's that? I'm glad you're here. Yeah, me too. No, this is gonna be great. Um, as, as you know, I um, I'm obsessed with the X Men franchise, and um, I love your podcast. I listen to it regularly, and I appreciate being one of your first uh lay guests, if you will. And I hope that my encyclopedic knowledge of these movies uh adds the value that you need to to make this a good discussion. Yeah, I think I think it is. Uh, I think we've got a good um, back and forth uh, ready to go uh, looking through our notes and such. And I'm happy to have you on. Um, but before we get into talking about X-Men and the, the movie uh, movie franchise of this episode, I do like to ask all of my guests, regardless of their background, um, what are your thoughts on film in general? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I, I definitely am a film fan, probably bordering on a film buff. Uh, I, I I watch a lot of movies. Uh, I follow film YouTube very closely. I'm a paid mm -hmm. patron of the um, movie Shri trivia showdown, which is basically a kind of movie competition, movie trivia competition show online. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I I really love movies. I follow them closely. Uh, I find them. I watch a little TV, but it's a lot easier for me to, when something kind of concludes and I can get my thoughts mm -hmm. on it all in one place and one time rather than months or years uh, to kind of slowly have my thoughts trickled to me. And um, 
Yeah, I enjoy a mix of kind of cerebral movies as well as just good blockbusters or what you know, good comedic films. I like a, I yeah. like a good mix as long as I consider them good. I don't like a lot of movies that are poorly reviewed or kind of considered, quote unquote, bad. A couple, but I do like good movies of all genres, basically. Nice, nice. Um, now, uh, any other than you know the X Men, which is what we're going to talk about today, um, what? What other films are sort of, uh, we'll say top 10. You don't have to give the whole 10, but like mm, pick a few. Yeah, I've realized actually someone asked me that about a year ago. I was, um, you know, met a new friend and we were at a, you know, at a bar together getting a drink and we both like film and she was asking me more information about what movies I liked. And I really realized how skewed towards my teens, my movie tastes are like all the movies that came out first came out between like 98 <laughs> and 2003. It was like Eternal Sunshine, Amelie, yep. Fight Club, American Beauty, Royal Tenenbaums, like literally all of those movies came out within three or four years of each other and um, mm-hmm. I do like a lot of 70s and earlier movies uh, Casablanca is my favorite um, classic film by far I really really yeah. love Casablanca I love it um, and I like a lot of 70s films I love One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest I love A Clockwork Orange uh, love Rosemary's Baby so I got a lot you know there are movies from all over but um, I will admit the ones that kind of emotionally resonate me, other than Casablanca, which really affects me, the ones that like defined me were almost all in that same era. They're all the ones that I kind of came of age to, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a good period. Uh, I will I will agree as uh, someone of, of the same age. <laughs> About a, um, a month older than me, almost the exact yeah, same age. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, all right. Let's pivot here to the X-Men film franchise. So I reached out to you because I was like, this is a guy that um, knows his superhero movies. I think we've gone back and forth a couple of times on our rankings of the MCU films. Yes, we have several Um, times. Yeah. And um, I don't I don't recall if we've ever done that for the X-Men franchise a few uh, Far fewer films, of course, uh, um, but just a little bit more than half of the MCU for the franchise. So we were talking about how we would uh, or what we would talk about as far as superhero films, whether or not there's a particular one or we want to talk about the franchise in general. I think you had suggested MCU first, and I was like, mm, that's a lot of movies. Actually, I think you suggested, yeah, Marvel, but you didn't say, we said maybe MCU, and I yeah. actually said back, I said, you know what, I think the X-Men have a tighter through line. The MCU has, sure. some of them are pure popcorn, some of them have themes. I said the X-Men, even though they're worse films on average, I think yeah. have a much more, there's a couple themes that really resonate through the franchise, Whereas the MCU is kind of all over the map in terms of whether the movies are about anything or not, basically. Okay. Okay, that that actually makes a lot more sense um, uh, as, as far as our conversation goes. So then continue that for, for the listeners. So why the X-Men film franchise? Yeah, well... I- um, as you know, obviously, having grown up with me, I mean, the X-Men were always my favorite everything as a kid. They're my favorite yeah. comic. They're my favorite of the TV shows. Like, yeah. And something about the X-Men, even though they're rarely the highest quality, they've always mattered the most to me. Like the Batman show, objectively better than the X-Men show, but I like the X-Men show better, you know? And, right. and the same is true of the X-Men film franchise. I know 
especially their worst films are much worse than the worst MCU films or the worst, you know, modern Batman films or what have you. I think though, two things, I think they're, <laughs> I think their best films are better. Like of my top five comic movies of all time, two or three are X-Men films. So I think their best ones are fantastic. Um, but I also, um, I, 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 and it used to be my favorite franchise of any kind. Again, now the bad ones so bad that it's brought the average down for me to say that. Um, I do think though, that they have a lot to say and they do it with care and nuance. Uh, I, I, I think that the complicated villains whose motives we can understand and relate to the MCU has pulled that off like twice and the X-Men pulls it off almost every film. Um, yeah. Especially the earlier ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the or even, or even the, um, I mean, we're going to get into this too, but even, uh, of the original trilogy, the last stand X three, the last stand being the, um, inferior one of the three still has a a villain but also has a non-human villain um a component that we will talk about as well uh which again has is better than the mcu yeah and that's exactly right that i think that the x-men films even the ones that aren't very good the best parts are really good on. And you, like you said, we'll bring up X3 a, a few times later. I rewatched uh, most of it today, actually. Uh, I told mm-hmm. you I wasn't going to get around to it, but I did. And I was so impressed how good the good parts in that movie are, even though the bad parts are just absolutely terrible. But I was so <laughs> impressed how emotionally invested I was in the really good parts. I really love that the villains are kind of concepts in the X-Men films more than the villains are individual people. I love the way they handle guilt and death and grief and, you know, heroes who aren't sure if they're on the right side or not. The social justice allegories with the civil rights and LGBT movements. I just... Superhero or not, I literally cannot think of any film franchise with more than three or four movies Mm -hmm. that has the thematic depth that the X-Men franchise does. Not Star Wars, not Harry Potter, not Lord of the Rings, not Jurassic Park, no horror one. I don't think there is any film franchise with the thematic depth of the X-Men franchise. No, and I think that lends... I I mean, there was such a wealth from uh, Stan Lee and uh, Jack Kirby, right? Yeah, Jack Kirby, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of just themes and writing. It's just a it was a deep well to draw from. And uh and and this will take us directly into the first point that I do want to talk about, which I think is the biggest psychological theme in all of the fran uh in all of the franchise, but specifically in um the First trilogy, the original trilogy, so X-Men, X2, uh, X-Men United, and X3, The Last Stand, um, as well as the first two films of, as well as the first two films of um, the first class era of the first class and then uh, Days of Future Past. And that's the theme of Prejudice. And specifically prejudice associated with racism and uh, the LGBTQ community. So we have two different ideas, two different, two different uh, 
psychological concepts that exist under the umbrella of prejudice, right? Um, and so what's the really good scene, Michael, in um, the film that represents the LGBTQ aspect? Yeah, yeah, you know that I that I love this uh, this scene. I um, that scene in X two X Men United where the they're uh, Wolverine and Iceman and Rogue and maybe one other I can't remember. Oh, Pyro, Pyro. before he turns bad. Yeah, are yeah. kind of camped out at Iceman's family's house when they're supposed to be out of town, and they come back in and realize he's a mutant. They thought he was going to a prep school basically, and they realize mm-hmm. he's going to a uh, basically a school to keep him safe as a mutant. And his mom says, you know, um, have you ever tried not being a mutant so uh, when did you first know you were a a mutant uh, but you cut that out you have to understand we thought bobby was going to a school for the gifted bobby is gifted we know that we just didn't realize we still love you bobby it's just this mutant problem is a little... What mutant problem? Complicated. What exactly are you professor of, Mr. Logan? Art. Well, you should see what Bobby can do. Yeah, and like you could literally replace mutant with gay, and I, that's it. It's so interesting because I was I watched that scene online again the other day on YouTube, and someone commented that they thought that was so ridiculous. And what kind of family would ever say that? And I was like, this is a privileged mf'er because you know i yeah. mean every i mean i i happen to be more or less straight and mostly straight whatever you want to call me but i have so many queer friends and almost every one of them experienced something like that you know yeah, something yeah. like that uh yeah so uh, and uh, and it was done it was done uh like really straightforwardly right it was just like it was the literal experience with one word replaced yeah, well, and of course, Brian Singer, the director of the first two X-Men films, the producer of First Class, and then the director also of um, Days of Years Past and Apocalypse, so he's attached pretty heavily to five of the films, is a gay yeah. man. Now, he turns out to be a very problematic gay man in, in many ways, um, right. which I don't think we'll have time to get into today, but I don't want to fail to note it at all. But very <laughs> problematic or not, I think he was sincere about this. You know, you can be sincere right. and awful at the same time, and I, I think... Yes. Um, he really, of all, all the evidence is he didn't want to take this franchise. Fox wanted him to because they were so impressed with his other films. And it was mm-hmm. when he realized the allegories between the civil rights movement that he decided, oh, this is not just popcorn. This is actually about something. And I want, I want to make a movie right. on this. Right. And, and those themes are pretty heavy throughout. And, and it's interesting to note, too, how this relates to um, Xavier's school. And X3's cure, 
on the ideas associated here with conversion therapy and the idea, the misguided idea, even existing in the DSM up until the DSM-3, that homosexuality was a disease and could be cured. So the idea in the film, in X3, is that uh, there's a mutant whose um, mutant uh, power can remove the, or uh, I forget how they fully it's describe gene it. targeting. I know it's obviously BS science. It just it has yeah, to yeah. make it work. But, but I, it's I'm, I'm trying to make it work. I'm trying to make it work. So essentially what it does is his cells give off some sort of chemical. Mm-hmm which deactivates in an epigenetic fashion the mutant cells of other mutants. There you go. Done. That's perfect. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's exactly. I love it. Yeah. Okay. They should have End had you show. as their science advisor. It would have made a little <laughs> more sense, honestly, if because it's not bad. Given that it's just a popcorn movie, they do a pretty good job of letting you believe it, but that was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. yeah they should have had you write that. <laughs> Thank you. So um, this I, then then we have um, a... a an inherent struggle now with um, the the idea that being a mutant is a disease and thus needs to be cured. And the reason why I brought up uh, Xavier's school, Charles Xavier, played by the lovely Patrick Stewart and the lovely James McAvoy, um, and then together in the same movie. That's great. Oh, yeah. I um, die, that's, that is literally my favorite comic movie of all time. I could talk about those two, two minutes on screen together for 20 minutes. Yes. I love it. I know yes. it's not, it's not going to fit into this podcast, unfortunately, but Lord, two high caliber actors playing the same per. Oh, so good. <laughs> so, yeah. so good. So the idea here is, so we're talking about cure for, um, cure for homosexuality. You know, same-sex attraction. And the idea with Xavier's school is it was supposed to be a safe haven, and that's how the mutants who go to the school view it. But with the question brought up by Bobby Drake's uh, Iceman, uh, mother is, I thought you were going to some sort of prep school. I think underneath that, the subtext of that, and I could be uh, reading into it a little bit more, but... I um uh I've I've read a lot about conversion therapy um and it just strikes me as the subtext of his mom saying um could you just have you tried just not being a mutant like I thought you know you were going to that place to like you know do something else. Well, and she said, and I, thought not it was, she says, I thought it was a school for the gifted and Rogue yeah. says he is gifted and she kind of scoffs. It really, you know, it was really interesting the way they um, draw those parallels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that part is potentially subtle and I may be looking into it. Um, but then of course on the nose, right. Uh, and then you have um, uh, Nightcrawler in X2 uh, following this um, LGBT uh, thread, you have uh, Nightcrawler in X2 and then played by Cody Smith McGee or McGee. No, he plays or... him in the new ones. He's played by Alan yeah. Cummings. Well, yeah, no, sorry, sorry. I, I was confused. That was confusing. Um, yes, yeah, so Alan Cummings plays Nightcrawler in X2 and then Cody Smith McPhee, McGee, whatever his name is, uh, plays Nightcrawler in the new ones. 
And the idea here is that uh, they don't look like humans. You know, he has a conversation with with uh, Mystique and, and all of that. And it's just like, well, people don't want to look at us because we're blue and we look scary and all of that stuff. And and you think about it. And yes, it does have the race component to it. But I think more, especially X2, more of it is the the i get the i get the gay um i get the gay idea from that a little bit more i would even go as far as to say trans as well because there's kind of these ideas of passing you know they talk about which mutants can kind of pass as humans and which ones can't in both x2 and and x3 as well um you've got these three blue mutants right you've got nightcrawler mystique and beast and they've got different views on it you know nightcrawler asks mystique and the jet on x2 if you can Because Mystique, for the audience who doesn't remember, is the one who can change herself into any human form, basically. And he Mm -hmm. asks if something like, if you could um, always pass as human, why wouldn't you? And then Mm -hmm. she turns back into Mystique and says, because we shouldn't have to. Um, Right. And then, of right. course, and, and then Beast struggles with this, and I hope I'm not jumping ahead too much, but it's hard. These themes do overlap, you know. Right. Beast struggles with this in the X three originally he um you know this is our introduction in the franchise to beast and then he later is played in the prequels by um by someone else he's you know kelsey Grammer in the x3 he at first is coming across like this is a horrible thing there's this problem there's this cure and then mm-hmm. he starts to have doubts himself when he meets the kid you can give it he says you've got a beautiful gift and he um he himself starts to um you know he says to um to storm is it so bad is it cowardice to want to um, you know, is it cowardice to to want to shield yourself from prejudice, basically? So it's really interesting the way they kind yeah. of handle this idea of passing and whether it's whether you should lean in to what makes you an aberration or whether it's whether it's fair and safe to want to hide yourself. Yeah, and Nicholas Holt um takes that through line uh and uh de- develops his own cure in first class and tries to get Mystique to 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 take it uh, uh raven as she's referred to significantly in those sets of younger uh films um and the other thing that is associated with those three blue characters is is specifically with mystique is that um there's a conversation between her and michael fassbender's um uh magneto eric lyncher uh where he She's trying to, you know, maintain her uh, non-blue form, her Jennifer Lawrence form, as as it were. And uh, he sort of trips her up and makes her catch the barbells, uh, the barbell that's going to fall on her in the training scene. And he points out to her that it's like, you can't be 100% on the game if you are um, spending half your time maintaining your Jennifer Lawrence form. And she's like, mm, I don't like that. I don't like when people talk to me like that. <laughs> yeah. And then of course, at the end of the movie, she may, you know, this is of course very spoiler heavy. And because we're so, you and I are so deeply knowledgeable of these films. Anyone who's listening, who has never seen them is going to be like, what the hell are they talking about? They're all over the <laughs> map with these movies. But, but yeah. again, thematically, we're going to be going all over the place. But I think folks. thematically strap in, <laughs> Yeah, thematically, uh, I think we're telling a good story here, though, even if um, we're all over the films chronologically. But um, 
Because, yeah, she starts out that movie mocking the idea of mutant and proud because Charles is trying to hit on a woman who has two different colored eyes. And he's basically, you know, he's got this really suave kind of rehearsed speech down when he meets people that are kind of extremely mild case of mutants so that he can kind of basically hit on them by by naming what their mutation is. And she goes, oh, well, mutant and proud and cheers him. And I think the implication is he probably went home with her or something. And then or maybe, you know, I think Mystique uh, blocks him. Right. She yeah. Mystique blocks him um, from going home with her. Mm-hmm. And she's brushing her teeth and she's going mutant and proud. And then, of course, at the end of the movie, she rejects the beast cure. And then yeah. she joins Magneto and she says with confidence, mutant and proud. And so, yeah, there's a really uh, strong kind of um, story they're telling, I guess, with her journey from someone who wants to hide from um, from herself, basically. And, of course, these movies were made out of order, but it really ties in well with that Nightcrawler scene in X2 because now yeah. we're seeing her 30, 40 years later uh, as this person who is actually living up to her own principles. Right. And and not being afraid uh, afraid of it. I think that's, I think that's, it's a dynamite thing. And uh, I mean, kudos to Brian Singer because he probably made sure that that was uh, a, a, a through line as you had mentioned earlier. Um, So let's talk about the other prejudice specter here, and that is when when the X-Men came out, what was happening in the United States was the civil rights movement, and the civil rights movement largely focused on uh, the minority uh, folks in the United States who were not getting treated um, fairly. And you and mean when still, the comics came still out? Still aren't. Yeah, you mean when the comics yeah. came out? In the when 60s. the comics came out? Yeah. Sorry, yeah, mm-hmm. when the comics came out. And I and and of course you have to follow. You 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 can't really rewrite these characters and have them remain the same uh, for movies. And so they did. They they didn't rewrite them. Brian Singer, I think, did a very good job of maintaining some of the aspects found in the less comicy way, right? Because you know, comic book characters can just be outlandish sometimes. But I think the core pieces of those characters came through. Now, um, I wrote down uh, some of some of my research on this one and what Stan Lee has said about the characters. And I, and I know you have a bit of a counterpoint, so um, I'll I'll start and then I'll let you uh, counterpoint me on this one. So st- and, and and feel free to jump in. So. Uh, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby wrote Magneto and Professor X to be two sides of the civil rights movement coin when the comic debuted, what, 1964? I think it was 63. I'm sorry. I, I believe 63 sounds right. I'll be honest. My knowledge is not. That's where you lose my encyclopedia, I guess. Even that's too much. Uh, uh, that Well, that's where I get to fill it in. So he wrote. Uh, so they wrote these characters and they were like, well, there's two sides of the same uh, of the same side of the civil rights movement, we'll, we'll 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 say that it was you know for black equal rights um, with a white majority, right? And so they're playing two sides of the or two sides of the coin of the uh, black equal rights side. So Stanley wrote Professor X, Charles Xavier, to be more of the um, defensive. Sort of, let's try talking about it, be diplomatic, peaceful, etc. 
that it was akin to Martin Luther King's vision at the time. And Magneto, Eric Lencher, was written to be a more militant kind of dude, uh, much akin to Malcolm X uh, at the time. And there is, I mean, there's a lot of overlap between the two historical figures. Let's be honest. There is a lot of overlap. Um, Malcolm X wanted to uh, do things that MLK didn't want to do, but in all honesty, they they I, I I they share more similarities than they than they do share differences. In my opinion, hundred percent agree with you uh, on that. Yeah. Um, and 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 so it's interesting to to take that fine difference of how much how much force should we actually use magneto wants to use all the force and essentially subjugate him and 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 that sort of comes through in uh the dialogue from the first x-men film what magneto says um in his conversations with charles at the very beginning of the film uh in his conversation with charles at the very end of the film Mystique um, chatting with uh, uh, Senator Kelly in the helicopter. Uh, I have that scene lined up, ready to go. Gun registration, yes. Well, some of these so-called children possess more than ten times the destructive force of any handgun. No, I don't see a difference. All I see are weapons in our schools. Well, that's fair enough. All right. So, it's going to be close. Vote this loaded is always close. What about the UN summit? The whole world will be watching. Maybe there's some way you could use that to your advantage. We're Americans, Henry. Let the rest of the damn world deal with mutants in their own way. You know the situation? These mutants? People like this Jean Grey. If it were up to me, I'd lock them all away. It's a war. It's the reason people like me exist. Where the hell are we? Pilot! You know, people like you are the reason I was afraid to go to school as a child. So we see it a lot. We see that sort of the militant nature of this Magneto in the films. This is how we're going to handle the differences between mutants and normal humans, quote unquote, normal. Uh, and and it, it and of course we learn that uh, mutants are in the minority. There are far more. Uh, non-mutant humans in the world and so that sort of mirrors the uh, prejudice of uh, t- prejudice directed toward minority black individuals and so uh, on the other side you have Charles being like come on we just need to talk to them let's just, let's just talk we'll talk we'll find out what they want and we'll tell them what we want and um, yeah everything will be hunky dory doesn't it ever wake you in the middle of the night? The feeling that someday they will pass that foolish law, or one just like it, and come for you. 
and your children. It does indeed. What do you do when you wake up to that? I feel a great swell of pity for the poor soul who comes to that school looking for trouble. Why do you come here, Charles? Why do you ask questions which you already know the answers? Yes. You're continuing search for hope. You know this plastic prison of theirs won't hold me forever. The war is still coming, Charles, and I intend to fight it. By any means necessary. And I will always be there. Old friend. And it's, uh, I, I thought this was interesting um, with, with the creation of these characters, and this will be my last little tidbit, and you can jump in. Uh, the idea that Professor X, which was his, you know, nickname, I guess, his, uh, oh, we're using our superhero names? Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm Professor X. <laughs> uh, so obviously the X stands for Xavier, but I think it was interesting that the X was given to the MLK figure and not the Malcolm X figure. So your counterpoint to this. Oh, counterpoint is a strong term, especially because I think the way you described it now in more detail is closer to what I believe than the way that the more re- abbreviated way that we discussed it prior to the show. Um, <laughs> and that, yeah, I think that um, you mentioned yourself that you think Malcolm X and MLK had a lot more in common than they did different. And of course, that got true as their lives went on. Malcolm X got, um, you know, went away, stopped being such a separatist and became a little more of a, not reformist, but a, you know, kind of a radical reformist, you know, a real. And MLK, of course, became more radical towards the end of his life and expanded the number of causes he was fighting for dramatically and became more Mm -hmm. comfortable with, um, you know, violence as a last resort rather than as a never resort. And so by the end, they were not very far. Whereas, of course, Magneto is a not even just a separatist. He's a superior. I don't know what the you know a supremacist. He's a mutant supremacist, right? There you go. Supremacist. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, and 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 Malcolm X, while occasionally had sentences that came across that way, that wasn't really the way he navigated the, the world. And I think that makes a pretty marked difference. And I wonder if they had to do that, honestly. Because it would have been too easy to side with Magneto if he was just a separatist. I think all of us would have been like, well, yeah, who thinks you should work with these crappy humans? Which, of course, is interesting because a white audience wouldn't have said that about racial justice at the time, right? They would have, you know, they would have said, be calmer, be more like MLK, maybe even be more calm than MLK. MLK is too radical, and yet they would think about humans. Or in the in the mute in this allegory, they would say, "Oh, the humans are garbage." But of course, the humans are the white people of um, of, yeah, the, of, exactly. of the allegory. So it's very right. interesting. And 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 when you think about it, it's like, wait, uh, they had to. Let me put it this way. Actually, let me put it this way. So the idea <laughs> is that white people are humans and um, mutants are uh, the black folks in the in, in the allegory. Um, and m- 
I would say the vast majority of readers were white of the comic book. I'm I'm just making a uh, a guess on who was reading the comic books at the time in the 1960s. And um you have people who are like, yeah, you know, I like what Magneto is saying. And it's like, bro, do you know yes. what you're exactly. agreeing with right now? Exactly, exactly. I could not agree more. And that's why I said the more I heard you explain this, the more I actually realized that uh, you and I, are, our opinions aren't aren't very far here. Um, but yeah, it is interesting. They had to basically make Magneto more cartoonish and more extreme to make sure yeah. you disagreed with him. Because when they made him too much like actual black civil rights leaders you just agreed with him and there was no villain basically right so yeah very interesting and a great vehicle i wonder if um i wonder if some of it could be uh what's the word that i want uh explained through the fact that two white guys were trying to characterize um the civil rights movement from the perspective of those civil rights leaders and the white lens sort of changed the way that it came across. Um, I, I've always had that thought because there's go- there's going to be that that uh, you know the in group uh, or that out group bias uh, present in presenting the story. Oh, no um, question about it. I mean, of course, the other thing is they were retro. Some of this was retconned because when ja- when when Stanley first came up with the X Men, it was actually just a lazy as a pejorative but it was just a simple trick he was just sick of writing origin stories for all of his characters and he was like i want a whole team and he already did the fantastic four which was his other team so he didn't want to need to come up with an experiment that explained why are there is there a new team that have such different abilities and why are there villains with different abilities and he basically just thought it got the idea he said oh what if there's just like a mutation that some of these people have, and that explains the 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 proliferation on both the good, bad, and even the neutral, the kind of you know a political side? And it was only as he realized how tightly that fit in with the uh, social happenings of the day that he kind of retconned it to be more sure. of an allegory. Which, to his credit, though, good for him. Good for him for realizing his comics could be more than just explosions and could actually say something but you are right a couple white guys accidentally stumbled upon a social justice allegory within an idea they'd already started writing and so yeah it came out imperfect and a little bit um othering and a little bit maybe paternalistic at points so you know it's just it was imperfect and and you know yeah and and I think it's um I think it's worth it to say that bringing him back to the films I think uh, the writers of the films recognize that yes. having having the clear hindsight of you know three or four decades prior having the clear hindsight that this this allegory is there and we can use it and we can and we can use it if um, slightly more effectively because essentially what we're saying is we can take this argument that's spanned a decade or more and we can squeeze that into two hours and we can do that a few times and it and it and it works yeah so i think the the film writers and and the directors across the franchise take that hindsight and do it a little bit more effectively in discussing the um in discussing the uh the the prejudice and 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 racism context 
concepts inherent in the context. I completely agree. And I think it's also, though, why the LGBTQ parallels work a little better than the the the, the racial justice civil rights ones. It's not that they intrinsically have to work better, but queer people worked on the X-Men films. Yeah. Um, and people of color did barely worked on the X-Men comics. So the X-Men comics were coming from a, you know, were kind of failing at their own allegory at times in a way that the movies, I think, were able to do a bit better because it really was the lived experience of people on the films. Yeah. I think it's also why some of the Holocaust and um, Jewish aspects of the racial justice piece in the movies worked well, too. Similarly, uh, Jewish people worked on these films, and I thought those were – and I should say I'm not – I, I I don't have any Jewish heritage to my knowledge, so I am speaking myself as a bit of an outsider here. But um, I thought the Holocaust pieces worked really well, especially in first class. And um, yes, they did a they did a far better job of exploring that story a little bit more than the original X Men film. Yeah, yeah, and I, I I love the way. I mean, I think that that um at the end of first class when um. Professor, when Charles, you know, I don't think he's called Professor X yet, but when Charles says the, why he should show mercy on the humans because they're just following orders, and when Magneto says, I've been at the hands of people following orders before, never again, just wow, what a line, you know, what a line. Yeah, and I will, I will add to that, um, I will add to that when he, uh, uh, when he, I shouldn't use <laughs> Who's he? Uh, when um, Eric is on his uh, hunt for uh, Nazis, and he finds the he finds a couple of dudes in um, Argentina, right? Because a lot of um, uh, Nazis fled to Argentina. Uh, I learned about it from that movie, by the way. That's how. That's when I learned that there is a large, uh, there is a kind of ex-Nazi expat. Really? Yeah, I learned it from that movie. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is weird because I'm a medium student of history. I read a lot of history and somehow just missed that really? one. Really? And okay. that after that movie, I Googled it and realized it was really a thing. So therefore, yeah. there the movie's teaching us things. <laughs> yeah, and and I think he has a great line in German. Michael Fassbender, being a native German speaker, um, has a great line. Um, when he's sharing a beer with those uh, with those two Nazis, and he says that because uh, they're talking about how how nice the beer is, and um, you know that it was made by just random people, and he was and he goes, yeah, it's it's interesting that things can be that things can that things of like really great greatness, but also like really awfulness can come from pig farmers. <laughs> and sh- um uh shoemakers and um and then he shows them his ta- his tattoo on his forearm of his uh prisoner number and they're like uh-oh and then he like does magneto stuff he does him. magneto stuff yeah yeah i was telling my roommate the other day that i was gonna be on this podcast discussing the x-men franchise and she hasn't seen all the films i don't think and she doesn't have strong opinions on them she thinks they're okay but doesn't really care but she said her favorite one was first class and she said if they had just made the magneto nazi hunter movie that would have been my favorite oh my x-men god movie. Like- oh my god that would have been amazing <laughs> of michael fassbender just speaking german to people just- and then just like sending a coin through yeah. their head like he does <laughs> it just made him which as you might know at one point they were considering an entire magneto origin movie that was going to be yes. similar to that and right. um 
I, I, and unfortunately, it was going to be Ian McKellen in the major part of the role because they hadn't cast uh, Michael Fassbender yet. Uh, well, we're lucky they didn't get that then because I mean, yeah. Ian McKellen is wonderful as old Magneto, but yes. Michael Fassbender, like the anger, the rage he has, he's so good. Like mm-hmm. Ian McKellen plays it up very well as kind of a. Um, a more a slightly more uh, older, almost retired general type. You know what I mean? He's got minions mm-hmm. to do the dirty work for him, kind of way. Whereas yeah. Michael Fassbender just plays it up like a man, rightfully so. I mean, he watched his mom die in front of him. Um, mm-hmm. You know, with you know be, because you know because of um, these people. Um, both and both right, he's and these were someone. These were people who were simultaneously Jew haters in the you know in in not in the not as Nazis, but also human supremacists who were already learning about the mutants and trying to use them. So he got this double dose of the way that humans are cruel as both mm-hmm. into to fellow humans and to perceived mutants. And just the yeah. ra- the way he plays that rage up, I don't know that Ian McKellen has that level of rage in him. I mean, it's just beautiful. It's really glorious. <laughs> yeah. So the the one of the other things that I want to mention before we, uh, as we finish up this topic, this main topic of, of prejudice uh, in the films is um, the character of William Stryker. Um, and I was I was reading through some stuff and I was rewatching clips and I thought to myself, Stryker as a villain in X2 is an extremely interesting villain. And I'll come back to that in a second. But I think wasted in the uh, Days of Future Past incarnation of him. And um I was reading somebody wrote that um, William Stryker and especially his portrayal in X2 is reminiscent of racist figures in American history. Right. So we have this uh, we have this specter that's just like, ah, I am the KKK. Right. So he's this. We'll call him. We can call him something like David Duke or whoever was the original Grand Wizard, stupid idiot from the KKK. Um, but he's in the film in X two. He's ashamed of his mutant son, um, and he's mad. He's angry at Charles for not fixing him. I go back to my conversion therapy thing. Uh, he he's 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 angry at Charles and other mutants for not doing what they said they were going to do and fix uh, his son. His son makes them see illusions and eventually um, uh, Stryker's wife puts a drill to her left temple. So she stops seeing the madness and he wants to take it out on all mutants. He, he essentially is just like, I'm done. I'm done with this. I want to take it out on all mutants. And and that's why he needs um, that's why he needs Charles in that makeshift cerebro to reach out to all mutants and then just wipe them out. William, please, Xavier, don't get up. I call it the neural inhibitor. It keeps you out of here. What have you done with Scott? Don't worry. I'm just giving him a little re-education. Of course, you know all about that, don't you? William, you wanted me to cure your son, but mutation is not a disease. You're lying! You were more friend of him than I was. 
you know, just one year after Jason returned from your school, my wife. You see, he resented us. He blamed us for his condition. So he would toy with our minds, projecting visions and scenarios into our brains. Well, my wife, in the end, she took a power drill to her left temple in an attempt to bore the images out. My boy, the great illusionist. For someone who hates mutants, you certainly keep some strange company. Oh, they serve their purpose. As long as they can be controlled. the attack on the president. You didn't even have to read my mind. You know, I've been working with mutants as long as you have, Xavier, but the most frustrating thing I've learned is that nobody really knows how many even exist or how to find them. Except you. Unfortunately, this little potion won't work on you, will it? You're much too powerful for that. Instead, we'll go right to the source. Allow me to introduce Mutant 143. The fluid secreted by his brain acts as a mind-controlling agent. But that's only where it begins. Jeez. Oh my God, William, this is your son. What have you done to No, Charles! My son is dead. Just like the rest of you. And it's funny because that is picked up just a bit, just a smidge in Logan. Like, where are all the mutants gone? Well, something happened with Professor X. And it's, I thought that was really cool. I, um, I, I think so, too, because why, why would his um, psychotic episode in Logan have only harmed the mutants? It's like that, it's like that was still uh, implanted in him to some degree, right? Because he almost yeah. killed all the mutants in X2, and it's almost like it got... Um, yeah, like it was reactivated when he had his dementia at the end of his life. Um, yeah. And um, and yeah, the only small, not counter, but slightly counter, but slightly adding value point I'll make about Stryker is you mentioned the conversion therapy. I'll go further. I'll say he played him with kind of the tenor of an anti of a, of a racist figure but his motives were way closer to a modern anti lgbt figure i think yeah, right? Right, I mean, right right in, right in that yeah. he was a um he was a preacher originally in the comics not a military man and mm-hmm. um and yeah he is he has a son who isn't the same as him which is a lot easier to happen of course with lgbt than it is with ra- especially if your wife is the same race as you you're not usually going to get a son of a different race but you will very easily of course get a lgbtq kid and um yeah i think they really i mean they really nailed that one and it's interesting because that's when the comics actually also did right because they lifted that one really straight from the god loves man kills comics really straight lift from it yeah. um mm-hmm. and um 
So it seems like I just kind of more proof that they, they've done better with the LGBT allegories often, I think, than they have with the uh, than they have with, with with the with the racial justice ones. Although, again, occasional really good moments there, too. And uh, yeah. yeah, I never thought about this Logan point until you now, though. Immediately, though, that resonates. Why? When Patrick Stewart, when Professor X had this psychological event, why didn't he just kill everyone within a 50 mile radius instead why did he kill all the humans or all the mutants but only mutants and you're probably you're totally right it really is like it was implanted <laughs> in him very fascinating i love it i feel i feel like it's a bit of a reach for me but i appreciate that um you know just i and and i honestly you heard it here you heard it here first i have never seen anybody mention that me neither and logan. i've read a lot of, of, of so you heard it here first <laughs> scoop on the Cinema Psych podcast. Okay, so we're going to continue this conversation. Uh, We're going to talk about other psych concepts here after a quick break. Hey, listener. Thanks for sticking around this episode. I hope you're enjoying it. Anyway, I need your help in growing this podcast's audience. In past episodes, I've asked you to share this podcast with five of your friends. Let's keep doing that. Share this podcast on social media, especially if you really liked an episode. Share that episode. Tell five of your friends or family if they have an interest in film or psychology, or even better, both. Growing the audience is our goal for the second year of programming, and so we need your help to get that done. Other ways to contribute to the podcast include tips to our PayPal, found on our website becoming a patron at patreon.com slash cinema psych pod rocking some sweet merch from our spreadshirt shop and or leaving us a rating or review on your favorite podcast service now back to the show Okay, so we are back here on the podcast talking with Michael Alexander about um, our love of X-Men and um, a fun fun little tidbit about us as kids. So I would sleep over at, at Michael's house and um, he had all the amazing X-Men action figures of the day when action figures were really good, like the 90s primo action figures. They're kind of crap now. Um in my opinion, looking at it, not as fondly. They look cheaper. I agree. And they yeah. don't do as they much look, cool stuff. Yeah, they don't do as much cool stuff. But uh, so that so I would go over to his house. I would sleep over at his house. And we would spend hours, hours playing with these X-Men figures. Oh, my God. It was so fun. Oh, we would set up like multi-day um, like scenarios with them, scenarios yeah. and arcs. Yeah, we would have you know a a two day sleepover, so three days if you count both sides of it. And we would day one, we would just be setting up. Oh, where's Magneto gonna live this time? Oh, let's move the bed, and we'll kind of set up a lair over there. And then we had the good guys, and then we would uh, have rising action, and then conclusions. At the- yeah, we went really, really far. With we these. did. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, I would, I would, I would continue this similar things as I'm sure you did, um, by yourself. 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. Well, and I remember because uh, you had a lot of non-X-Men figures too, so right. you would bring all the cameos in, like the Spider-Man mm-hmm. or the, uh, I don't know, Hulk and stuff like that. We'd kind of get yeah. cameos of other, almost we created our own Marvel Cinematic Universe in a weird we way. We did. Except um, it was Kevin around Feige. Kevin Feige, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> you should have called us. Yeah. I, I mean, X-Men are coming into the M- MCU. You need some help. You've got two dudes here we- willing and ready to help you get these good stories. And they're, lacking, and they're lacking white male creative talent anyway in this. Oh, my this, God. So yeah. I do think that they could really use our, our unique voices here. Yes, our unique voices. <laughs> okay. So the other the other big big through line through these films is a character. And that character is Wolverine. He's been in all of them I, I, I except for uh he he has a cameo in First Class and he has a much larger cameo in Apocalypse, right? Yeah, that's um, correct. And then, well, I guess he's not in um, Dark Phoenix, but who cares about Dark Phoenix? Uh, I don't. No. Uh, so, and he's got major roles. He's technically the main character of the original trilogy. Um, he's the through character in Days of Future Past because he was alive when they needed to go back in time and to to link the timelines, you know? Um, for the viewers, I linked my fingers together in <laughs> dramatic fashion. Uh, so tell us what um, tell us why, Michael, if you will, um, why the focus has been on Wolverine through these through this franchise. Yeah, I mean, this is my ideas, obviously. I don't know. I can't officially state why, but I, I think that Wolverine sticks in people's kind of uh, collective psyche for for a reason. Right. He's a character who suffers so greatly and he's a character who ex- experiences so much loss in a way that I mean I think most of us can't imagine what it's like I, I think um, for those who aren't super familiar you know he's been alive since the 1800s he's yeah. near immortal especially once having the adamantium grafted onto him where almost nothing can penetrate him or kill him and his cells regenerate so quickly that it's mm-hmm. really difficult for him to die of quote unquote natural causes and between those two he's again near Im- immortal and so everything everything he's ever known has been taken from him so many times over and because he was treated like an animal he's done so much bad himself right he has committed right. so much harm that he has to live with and he can never un he can never undo and he can't really off himself which is something that someone might especially a veteran might which he is a veteran of many wars might do and so this is a man experiencing serious PTSD to a degree yeah. that probably has never been experienced by many humans actually in, in real life, you know? My mind. Yes, you can. It won't take it. You're just a little rusty. You don't understand. It's not a question of being rusty. I can flip the switches. I can turn the knobs. But my power comes from here. It comes from... And it's broken. I feel like one of my students. Helpless. It was a mistake coming down here. It was a mistake freeing Eric. This whole thing has been one bloody mistake. I'm sorry, Logan, but they sent back the wrong man. You're right. I am. Actually, it was supposed to be you. I was the only one who could physically make the trip. And, uh, I don't know how long I've got here. 
And I do know that a long time actually, a long time from now, I was your most helpless student. And you unlocked my mind. You showed me what I was. You showed me what I could be. I don't know how to do that for you. You're right, I don't. But I know someone who might. Look into my mind. You saw what I did to Cerebro. You don't want me inside your head. There's no damage you can do that hasn't already been done, trust me. Come on. I don't want your future! Look past my future. Look for your future. Right, and trying to characterize that as a as a writer is, I would say, pretty darn hard. Um, for somebody who has PTSD upon PTSD upon PTSD. Yeah. And just becomes like a just becomes like a shell of a person. Yeah, and I think they do a really, I, I mean, I, I am, again, you as the actual psychologist can say more here, but I, as me as a viewer, I think they do a really good job of making him matter a lot. I really, I think that um, The Wolverine, which was the 2013, you know, kind of weird partial reboot, partial sequel movie, which I don't think was a great movie. I actually think the plot of that movie is kind of garbage, but I think it's another one where the scenes, there are so many more remarkably great scenes in that movie. And I think the um the dreams he's having where he's back with um Gene Gray and he's having mm-hmm. almost an inception level of dreams within dreams. You know, mm-hmm. he's uh, dreaming he's back at the war and then he wakes up in that dream and he's next to Gene Gray and then he wakes up in the woods and realizes that of course he still killed Gene Gray, which is something he had to do in the last stand was kill the love of his life because she was too powerful basically and was decimating all the all all of humanity. I I think uh, and then the way that he almost um harms his new love interest in that movie in bed by having another dream and that in the parallels they draw i think they do right. a really good job of showing how traumatized this man is right and uh, it, and the the thing and and the trauma just ex- it, it it just exists within him too because we learn in x-men the first movie that um he doesn't really know who he is just knows his name is Logan. And he knows that he has claws that are big and that he can't get hurt. Like he 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 knows something about him. And we learn in X-Men Origins Wolverine that he was um shot in the head by an adamantium-laced bullet, which pierced through his adamantium-laced skull. And um, gave him significant retrograde amnesia. Um, to the point where he didn't really know who he was. Because, and, and it's remarkable, too, uh, that the bullet had to be cased in adamantium to be able to pierce his adamantium skull. But because his cells regenerate so well that his brain pushed it out. But... 
it shows you that he's not invincible because you could severely damage his brain and his brain won't regenerate exactly the way it was before, which I think is amazing. As a, as a as a as a brain scientist, I'm like, holy, that is. I don't think they shot him in the right place, but oh my gosh, that's that's awesome. Because, and I'll give you give you Michael a little bit of a tidbit, but also to the 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 um to the to the listening audience. So, the hippocampus is um one of the primary structures for creating new memories. But, and and once those memories are created, they're they're essentially sent into your cortex. They're, you, you essentially move them from the hippocampus into your cortex. And when you retrieve something, you retrieve it from connections that are in the cortical structures of your brain. So, I mean, the idea of him getting shot, like, I forget where, but it was like in the sort of front area of his brain. That's probably where some of his past memories are, but not all of them because they're, they're essentially just like all over the place. All of your memories are all over the place. It takes an, it, it takes an extremely big and whole brain injury to actually give somebody that severe a retrograde amnesia. Yeah, and, and I think that's probably just lazy. I mean, we know that movie yeah, I know, is. I know. The, I'm, but 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 see, I have to explain the ina- the accuracies and the inaccuracies. No, I appreciate of this it. Yeah, movie. and and um, you wouldn't see that amount of retrograde amnesia if um it was just a small small bullet hole. Is that's what I'm saying? But um, they they have to make him a tragic figure. Uh, and one of the ways they make him a tragic figure is by taking away everything that he knew about himself, which is, which sucks. But what doesn't leave is the PTSD that doesn't leave. That stays with him. I really love that. I love that he not, I mean, it's bad love, but I love the writing in that you're right that he doesn't have the actual memories, but he still has the, the trauma is like embedded in, in him. Yeah. And then of course, um, and then, of course, he gets new traumas, though, because after, you know, I th- and everyone knows, everyone who's a fan of these movies knows the timelines are pretty murky and messed up. But if you, do, if you <laughs> yeah. do a little bit of nudging, you can make a pretty decent timeline of these. And there would have been roughly 15 years between the, um, you know, uh, the, the, uh, this accident that you're talking about or this incident and then uh, the X-1 one film. And in that time, yeah. he's been this kind of lost man who's been cage fighting for a living. He's probably still killed, um, you know, a, a whole bunch of, you know, um, people again, at least severely injured so many of them. And so he's adding these new traumas. And then, of course, in the, you know, can, uh, the original trilogy, um, which the the Wolverine that I was talking about follows the original trilogy. It's actually a pretty decent direct sequel to those three films. Um, by decent, I mean a pretty can- canon direct sequel. You know, it doesn't doesn't take yeah. too much liberty. Uh, it's pretty accurate. And um, yeah, this is someone who's now um, lost his whole team again, basically, right? I mean, Professor yeah. X died in that timeline. Jean Grey died in that timeline. Cyclops died in that timeline. The school was basically shut down. Rogue lost her powers. You know, and Rogue was his, you know, we didn't, talk about her much but rogue had a bit of a um almost a kid sister or adopted daughterish kind of you know right. role to his um uh, uh, some grand granddaughter 
great great granddaughter. Great 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 granddaughter. If we're going great, by yeah. his uh, yeah. his real age, but in terms of the relationship, dude's old. Dude's yeah, old. but in terms yeah. of the relationship, I, I guess know. it would feel more like uh, you know more like a daughter and. Um, <laughs> Or even again, maybe even a kid's sister, because there's that great line in X3, which again, another one I say, imperfect movie with some beautiful lines, when she asks him why she why he's not going to try to stop her from getting the cure. And he says, well, I'm not your father, I'm your friend. And I really like that line that he is mm-hmm. someone who doesn't want to control someone. You know, he's someone who has been controlled so much in his life. So much of his life has been determined for him. And he's not going to do that to her. He's going to make a recommendation. He tells her, don't do this for a boy. But if you're going to do it, you know, that is your own decision in the end. That scene we already mentioned in Days of Future Past where he's talking to um, to young Professor X and... Um, you know, basically, he's explaining to Professor X why he's kind of a bad teacher and why he wasn't meant to take this journey. He said, actually, originally, you were going to take this journey yourself back in time, but my body was the only one strong enough to make the journey. But if you read my thoughts and read my mind, you'll see where I am now and you'll believe me. I'm telling the truth. And when Professor X tries to read his thoughts, he gets basically too distracted by all the trauma. And he sees Wolverine, you know, almost die in World War II. And he sees... Yeah him killing gene gray and he sees him all that you know everything that goes on and he says you know uh you poor poor man uh, so much suffering you know i don't want your future uh i i really i love that wolverine is keeps kind of wanting to push people away he keeps wanting to keep himself from getting hurt again because he knows how much it's going to hurt but he keeps kind of getting put back in this teacher role that of course comes full circle in, in Logan. And I think um, I'm not going to obviously dictate your podcast for you. If you want to have more topics, it's up to you. But I, I think to Wolverine's character, Logan is an extremely beautiful and painful, you know, send off for, for him. And they really bring these themes full circle. He's just caring for professor X. It's the only one he cares about left. Caliban yeah. is basically just a, um, a collateral Me- damage in yeah. a way. Yeah. You know, right. I I I I agree, and I think I think Logan um, epitomizes uh, the character development that occurred for what uh, Logan came out in twenty seventeen. Yes, so seventeen seven, years. Seventeen years 17 of playing years. a character consistently, right? Consistently, consistently. Yeah. yeah. Like he's he's never really aired. I'm, I think three years was the longest he ever took a break. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And 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 he was the same kind of person in 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 even the cameos that he did, and um, you know, you you're, you're talking about these things like he's got significant survivor's guilt. Right. So in addition to the PTSD, the post-traumatic stress disorder, he's got significant survivor's guilt. Like he's watching everyone he knows dies, die, excuse me, uh, everyone he knows die. Um, he's killed some of them and he's just got to sit here. He's got to sit with it. He's got to sit with it and he's got to he's got to um, sort of try to reconcile it. And he's not very good at reconciling it because he doesn't have all of the information. He doesn't know everything. And uh, apparently off camera some at some point in time, um, uh, Ch- uh, Charles is uh, supposedly uh, frees some of that information or or finds some information about his past. He gets some of it back in X2 uh, with Stryker being around. But he he still has to deal with all of this guilt, right? 
And then um, you mentioned that he's got um, some shame, obviously, uh, in the people that he's done harm to. Uh, and then he's uh, not able to forgive himself at all. Yeah, he, no. He, and he doesn't trust himself. any kind of health, help. Yeah, and he doesn't trust himself, right? You know, there's, uh, there's uh, towards the end of Logan, you know, when he seems like he's going to reject, you know, he finally acquiesces to driving this woman who turns out to be this young, not woman, but this girl who turns out to be his actual kind of clone daughter in a way. Yeah. Um, he agrees to finally drive her to what he thought was a mythical mutant safe haven turns out to be real and even that's not enough to con- he's basically so hardened he can't believe good things can happen at this point right and even when it turns out to be real he still doesn't really buy it and he still plans on abandoning them and he has this conversation with one of the other kids or no it is with her um and one of the other kids i believe and he says you know uh bad things happen i, I mean he doesn't say things but i'm not sure the uh parental controls in your podcast so he says you know bad bad things happen to people i care about and he's basically telling these kids, you don't want me as a protector. I, I'm worse than neutral, right? Which yeah. if you look at his strength, is baffling. It's like, who would you want to protect you more than Wolverine? Right. And he, he comes and saves it. the day, <laughs> right? Yeah. He comes and saves the day shortly after that when uh, the bad guys are like, let's capture all these mutants here, see? <laughs> um, and he like takes the, the, the PEDs and he goes into rage mode and that. You know, that's his swan song. Yeah, no, and I, I think it's a really it's beautiful that it comes home that he basically doesn't have to do this journey again, right? He he did a good thing, which he's done many good things in his life, but he's done a lot of harm yeah. too, and he ends doing the best thing he's probably ever done, or at least the most unambiguously good thing, I'll say, because arguably killing Gene and saving like literally everyone was better, but it came at much more in of San a, Francisco, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it <laughs> but it came at more of a cost. So I would say the most right. unambiguously good thing he's ever done, and then you bring up this adamantium bullet well now he's been getting this poisoning and he's been slowly dying and so now the same adamantium bullet that previously his brain was able to heal from he's weak enough that uh finally that exact same trick is what actually uh you know um yeah so anyway i i I think it kills him yeah um i am i i know they had to do that from a from a like you know a practical standpoint um hugh jackman was done playing wolverine and he's getting older and he the, the training regimens were getting tougher even though he can get swole like any chris hemsworth out there uh you know it, practical reasons he was done playing a character and they had to kill wolverine because then you know some who's gonna play him next and it's just like oh my god please stop with the who's gonna play him next absolutely um so they had to they had to do that i am not a fan of them um saying that the adamantium killed him i will go on record as saying like that that to me was a little like oh what could what could kill him oh the thing that's been in his body for a long time yeah it was yeah. a little convenient but i guess they've written him to be so invincible that what what else were they gonna say but i, I mean I, it's just following how invincible he was in the comic books like it's, yeah i know that the medium is different and and film goers are are gonna be like well what's the cost like that's nobody's nobody's dying which is why you know uh, natasha romanoff had to die in endgame like we needed some stakes and Logan was moving toward those stakes and they needed to come up with something. And I just I don't like the fact that Adamantium killed him. I just I just I, 
I I do agree. I think that um, I I think that they could have gone with an arc that was more like he lives a lot longer than most people, but he does still eventually slow down and die. It just takes him a lot longer. And then something like, you know, I know that um, they already kind of used drowning in days of future past, but it seemed like if he hadn't been taken out of the water, it might've worked. I mean, there's no reason to think he can't drown, right? He does need to breathe and he's really heavy. And if he is weighed down in the bottom of something, there's no biological reason why you couldn't totally canonically, I believe in the, the comics i know they have some explanation for why he can't drown but they take a lot of liberties in these movies as we know with the comics a lot of liberties some good frankly and some very right. very bad <laughs> but um i see no reason that he couldn't drown in this uh there's nothing healing about that you still need to breathe if you don't breathe for long enough and you literally die there's nothing to heal from anymore right so i i yeah i think they could have found a, a more I think less convenient and more canonically realistic way for him to die. I don't think it would have been as thematically resonant though. And that's what I always say, you know, yeah. as you know, I love, and you know, I love that the X-Men right. movies for the most part, not perfectly, but for the most part have a few themes that they carry over the course of a dozen movies. And right. I think that they did bring it home when they brought it full circle in a way that drowning wouldn't have done, you know, or whatever else we could think of. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. I, it, it, it's just a, it's a personal peeve, I suppose. But I, I do get its, um, its uh, necessity. Yeah, uh, and it's in, symbol- in yeah. The, yeah, and its symbolism. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so one of the last things that I did want to point out is um, the, the idea that you just brought up about Rogue least favorite character in the in the original trilogy. I thought Anna Paquin did a terrible job of acting her. Um, but Rogue is an interesting character. Um, and one of the reasons why Brian Singer wanted to use her as sort of like a uh I, I don't know conduit for the view- yeah, yeah. yeah. The embodiment of some of the themes, and one of the things is that um, you know, Rogue. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with um, either the character or the comic books or anything like that, or or even the TV show, remember the TV show. We'll we'll, we'll end with the TV show, but um, she can't touch people, you know, mutants or or normies. Um, because of her power and her mutant and her mutant power is that she she uh by by touch any kind of physical touch she sucks the life force for mutants that's their power for any given amount of time uh and then for humans it's essentially like you know kills them uh if it's for long enough she'll put them in she'll put people into comas and stuff and so she doesn't want to touch people uh and. It's very it, it 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 strikes me I I I know there are the the other thematic elements but I did want to point out really briefly and this came to my um came to me as you were talking so it's not even in our notes um she doesn't want to touch people um it has it it has uh pangs of germophobia um but it also has pangs of agoraphobia or uh yeah, I would say agoraphobia and not xenophobia, but agoraphobia. So fear of of public places for 
for fear of what might happen in those public places, not being able to get out of those public places. And then, of course, germophobia or, um, you know, the the obsession of of being clean and the compulsion of cleaning that exists with that that are um, generally speaking, higher uh, incidents symptoms in people with obsessive compulsive disorder i thought that was interesting i know that's not what the idea is with her but i just wanted to mention that um but did you have any thoughts on 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 rogues uh embodiment of theme uh, of themes yeah a couple thoughts well of course what you just said is fascinating never crossed my mind which again makes sense you're the actual psychologist and i'm merely someone who likes psychology um of course the big big difference there would be that she's right and that um you know people with um agoraphobia or or ocd to my understanding while they're you know are are taking a true thing and basically turning it into something that's far beyond you know the actual lived you know what would act the actual consequence whereas she really will kill the people if she does that right 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 you know um I actually disagree with you on Anna pa- on Anna Paquin and and Rogue. I like the character. I I I think um, <laughs> he's Alex is making uh, symbols at me uh, with his uh, over Zoom. But but I, I here's oh, the thing. They were they were they were nice symbols. Less anyone thinks I'm flipping you off. <laughs> no. I, so here's the thing with that I th- so they did a completely different character than is in the comics and TV show. No question. They chose to make her a much weaker and more vulnerable character rather than the the version that we know in the cartoons has lived that life, but we meet her 10 plus years later and she's mm-hmm. strong and she's already absorbed other mutants powers and kind of become almost a super mutant in some ways to me. Yeah. While that's cool in comics and cartoons, I think in a movie that would be boring. It's why Captain Marvel was kind of a boring movie. I don't hate it. It was just, fine like it's just just a i don't know it's why superman is bore is more boring in movies than he is in comics there's something about these can do all the powers kind of amalgamation characters that i don't think work well in film usually again uh superman one from the 70s being an exception um sure i i i i I just just to interrupt you very briefly um i don't disagree with her characterization i disagree with anna paquin's performance okay i i i don't feel as strongly on that i think i like it i would be willing to have this debate off air and see if you you could i'm persuadable on that how's that i'm persuadable there fair need lift kid no where are you going you don't know what it's like to be afraid of your powers be afraid to get close to anybody yeah i do I want to be able to touch people, Logan. A hug. A handshake. A kiss. I hope you're not doing this for some boy. Look, if you want to go, then go. Just be sure it's what you want. Shouldn't you be telling me to stay? To go upstairs and unpack? I'm not your father. I'm your friend. Think about what I said, Rogue. Marie. Marie. That I really like the way she represents uh, social isolation. Uh, I think, and she's another one, that it's not surprising that Brian Singer chose her because a lot of LGBT people, especially, remember, she comes from a small southern town, and a mm-hmm. lot of LGBT people in small towns, especially in the southern U.S., um, 
are the, I think they're the only one. And they're probably not the only gay person in their town, the only trans person in their town, but they often feel or think they are. And she has never, to her knowledge, met another mutant until she meets Wolverine. And she actually entertains getting the kind of self-conversion therapy because as we've said her powers truly is she's not making it up she actually is she's that she's making up that she's the only one but she's not making up that she's a danger to herself and everyone around her and so i think she's a very complex character underdone a little in the movies but done decent you know like, like i said the characterization was decent i really I really feel for her. I mean, she's a character that gut punches me a bit. I really, I, I'm yeah. such a tactile person. I, I hug my friends all the time. I, well, before the pandemic, I hugged my friends all the time, mm-hmm. at least. And um, I, I'm very tactile. And I'm someone that, gosh, if I had her, had her powers, I would be so miserable. And so she really speaks to me as someone that I can imagine, God, yeah. if I was her. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I would hate it so much. <laughs> Yeah, it, it 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 I would I too would would hate it uh as well not being able to to touch people. Um and it is very isolating. And I and I, it definitely speaks to the difference between um being alone and being lonely. Right? So there is a qualitative difference between those two ideas. They are not the same at all because you can be alone and be perfectly uh, happy with that. You know, a lot of people who are se- uh, who are uh, d- self-described introverts will be like, "Yeah, I'm I'm down with being alone. I'm just me and my book. It's fine. We'll do that." Um, whereas you can be lonely in a crowd of people, and you can be lonely with a significant other. And I think that's a really powerful statement to make um, with someone uh, someone with her powers. She can be in a room with dozens of people, especially ones that she values and thinks uh, and loves and thinks of her as, as friends and family and cannot be close to them without some layer of protection. Uh, and And that's rough that makes someone lonely right that's that's that generates loneliness and um research is pretty clear on loneliness and its ability to kill you yeah absolutely i i i certainly i i again being total layperson but i i have you know read a fair number of the at least the kind of popular science articles on the lethality of loneliness and the loneliness e- epidemic uh, of course rogue is female but this is something that while in general in our society men have it a lot better than women in most ways this is something that actually affects men way worse than women is my understanding is we have very uh, i'm yeah. speaking we as you and i are both um you know uh, both Men of the same age, basically. Um, yeah. Uh, men have way fewer friends than women do. And right. um, yeah, I, I think that it's interesting. I think about loneliness a lot and I work very hard to cultivate close friendships and keep from becoming lonely, both because I'm extroverted, but also because I have read about this and I do, and I've seen it and I don't want to get, you know, disclose too much personal information about people who are not myself on this, but I'll just say I've seen it in family members and I will not say which ones, but I've seen yeah. it in my own family, very lonely people, people in their 50s, 60s, 70s with one or even no real friends, you know, and who, when their kids maybe move on or move out of the house, they've got nothing anymore, right? And that's something yeah. that I, um, yeah, I think Rogue is a really, 
really interesting character. And I mentioned COVID almost a, as a almost passing joke a few minutes ago, but now I actually mean it. I think this year has given <laughs> a lot of us a lot of insight into what it's like to be lonely, into what it's like, as you said, to not be able to um, touch our friends without protective gear on, right? Yeah. And, would be really fascinating to see what a rogue 2021 arc might look like right now that we've all experienced something so much more similar to her powers than we almost ever would have before. Or or uh, a rewatch of those uh, first three films, specifically the first two. I, I feel like they uh, Brett Ratner shoved her story to the side a little bit. Shoved in, literally uh, everyone's story to the side a little bit. And then he yeah, offed, yeah. Right, offed right, three right. characters and um, cured one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so bad, so bad. But anyways, uh, just a rewatch of of those in in this time might give um slightly more pause to the characterization of Rogue, Anna Paquin's performance notwithstanding. Uh, so you know, being able to view it through that new COVID lens, I think might be uh might be something useful. If uh, folks want to want to do a uh, original trilogy rewatch, definitely, definitely recommend that. Uh, spend more time uh, focusing on the first X one, X one, and X two, and then maybe do laundry or something like that when the Last Stand play, plays. You know. Yeah, the good news about the Last Stand is it's short. Um, yes, it's, it's, it's short. It's the shortest one of the three. Yeah, Michael. I said we were going to end with the uh, television show, uh, the cartoon, as it were, uh, not about the X-Men franchise, but I did want to end the episode with some nostalgia. So are you a uh, Disney Plus subscriber? Uh, I, I have access to a Disney Plus subscription. Excellent. Uh, well, the X-Men uh, cartoon uh, series is on there. And uh, I've been trying to get Ollie, my son, to watch it with me. And he's not into it. And I'm like, dude, watch it. It's the best. Yeah, it's the best. It, it actually was the my understanding is it was the first um basically children's show to use that level of serialized programming in the history of entertainment, a children's show never. So they basically made up that to be continued idea for that show, basically within children's entertainment, no children's show. Really? Or sorry, Uh, not the to be continued. Sorry. The previously on Oh, previously on was basically invented for the X-Men show because they didn't trust that kids could keep their memories that, you know, that basically kids were going to yeah, watch yeah. those through lines. And so I actually have, um, I know, I know that your audience will not be able to see it, but because I have it within range, um, here's the book, uh, previously on X-Men and it's the story of how they convinced Fox to make, uh, I don't know if this is backwards for you or not. Sorry. If no, it it's is. good. It's good. Okay. Um, it's the story of how they convinced Fox to make this show because Fox wanted a, um, villain of the week kind of show. You yeah, know, they yeah, didn't want yeah. these serialized stories. And they said, you can't do it with X-Men. X-Men's, and this really, I don't know how much this is going to make it onto your podcast, but this really ties into why I think X-Men is kind of an intrinsically almost better property than most other geek properties is it was so good, they couldn't do it right 
with individualized episodes. They just said it's not how X-Men works. X-Men doesn't right. have... Yeah. yeah, it has a rogues gallery, but they're all under Magneto. It's not like in Spider-Man where they're literally just most of them are operating alone or Batman where most of them are operating alone. They said this is a... There is a... A literal, you know what I'm saying? That the, the villains, the villains represent something. The Sentinels, which barely got used in the movies, but were a huge villain in the show, you know, really represent kind of the only police force strong right. enough for the mutants, right? And, right. Um, to ma- yeah. to maintain order uh, on the mutants, and they and and they get used to that extreme in Days of Future Past. Of yeah, course. which that's I, the yeah, that's At the that's fir- that's the end game for for um just basically getting rid of all mutants. Yeah. But leading to a crappier world, which is like, what are you guys doing? Uh, But anyways, but but we can, but we, I think we can see that enough in our world that it's not, it's, it's weirdly believable. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, but I did want to say one thing about the TV show, um, that the movies did a little bit differently. And that is the character of Jean gray. She is, in the cartoon, the most worthless imbecile in the entire history of, cart- of, of superhero cartoons. Um, somebody made a supercut on YouTube. Of her of, moans? Of like her, her moans. Yeah. And uh, have you seen this? I have, yeah. Uh, oh, my God. She <laughs> is the least capable person. I know, I know. She's so, I know. Scott, Scott. Scott, Scott. Um, yeah, no, it's really they did her real, real bad. I know people thought that she was underdone in the movies, but she was done way better in the movies than the cartoon. Yeah. Whereas and, and even when she becomes Phoenix in the cartoon, she's still not that good. Yeah, she's okay. The Phoenix saga was done decently, obviously better than the movies did it. But oh, yeah. you're still right. She was the least interesting part of her own saga. You know, they did all the supporting characters, all the the um, extraterrestrials, you know, quite well. Um, yeah, they did. They did her vaguely okay. Um, so in in the saga and bad in the rest of the show. Um, I think. Um, yeah, no, no. It's it's certainly it's 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 far from the show is far from perfect. I I think in general they did. Um, they did Rogue and Storm quite well. Um, they did Cyclops really well, I think, in the show, actually. Yeah. They did a really good job of him being a leader enough, but a Boy Scout enough, a goody two-shoe enough, but sometimes kind of a badass. Like They really balanced the, the, the dualities then, within Cyclops quite well. Um, yeah, and then we, we just got to go back to Wolverine. Like They did a really good job on Wolverine. They did. And his the, um, torment. Yeah, especially for a kid's show where they couldn't use swears, they couldn't use a lot yeah. of violence, and so they had to show it in much more creative ways, and, and they did. And I think that especially the um, – um, I forget what they actually called it. Uh, it was uh, a play on words of sex, lies, and videotape, but they couldn't say – you know, it was uh, – the episode title was something lies in videotape. I forget what they said instead of sex because, again, it was a spoof title that no kid would have ever understood. So what a weird reference to do. But they Yeah, two, right. A it's two-parter. for the parents. It was, yeah. Um, a two-parter with uh, where we meet uh, Lady Deathstrike and learn about yeah. his relationship with her and learn about his memory wipe and everything. And it wasn't yeah. – William Stryker didn't play – William Stryker, I don't believe, was ever in the show. So they no. admitted him completely in the show. They just took the character away, which is fine. But, um, yeah, I think so too. I think that show – I mean, I remember I, I, as a kid – when the show was about to come out and I got so excited, I read in the TV guide, there was going to be an X-Men show. And then they called it an animated drama. And I got really upset 
And I was like, no, I don't want an animated drama. I want an action show. And I was all pouty about it. Yeah. And then, of course, I got so hooked. And in retrospect, that's what's so great about it, you know? Yeah. That is. I, I, I 100% agree. It's less moody, less dramatic than the Batman animated series, the original Batman animated series, because that took moody to a whole new level. But it wasn't as cheerful as the Superman animated um, show. It was sort of like a happy medium, and it almost felt lot. It, it almost felt real, uh, more real than uh, than the other than than the the WB DC, DC shows. I, I agree. Even though I think we're that, talking about even though we're talking about mutants with special powers that couldn't physically exist, I, I agree. And the fact that it was less stylized made it a little less interesting to watch. I think it makes it hold up a little worse. Like Batman, so beautiful to watch. It's so well animated and draw and illustrated, and um, and I I, I think that um. Yeah, so I think that it did make it hold up a little worse, but it did also make it so you could focus on the plot better, right? Because you're not watching the action. I want to thank Michael Alexander for joining me to discuss the X-Men film franchise, plus a little bit of comic books and animated series in there, uh, in a slightly different kind of uh, Cinema Psych episode. While saying goodbye, Michael, is there anything that you would like to uh, plug where folks can find out more about you, the work that you do, that sort of thing? Um... Not ex yes and no. I mean, people are welcome to follow my social accounts, which are all extra Michael or Ma extra Michael Alexander. Um, okay. I, 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 I do. I keep my kind of professional nonprofit work separate from my kind of more fandom and, um, you know, personal hobby side. And, and so, you know, I think the actual work I do is in a totally separate field. I, I think I'm a relatively uninteresting follow compared to some of your other guests. <laughs> but if people want to watch me rant about things, they're welcome to find extra Michael. I've got accounts on a lot of fandom sites and I've got a Reddit and I've got a Twitter and an Instagram. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not going to say no. Uh, they're public accounts. You're welcome to follow them. I'm not sure. I, I make good craft cocktails on them. If people want my cocktails, that's probably the, the best value I'll add to anyone's life if they want some really good cocktails on my social accounts. So... <laughs> That's fair. Well, I'm I'm glad we had this opportunity to chat about things that we both really love. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was really great. That's going to do it for this episode. Until the next one, thanks for listening, everyone.